How many of you right now are sitting next to someone unique? Okay. Uh, our youngest son, Tucker, came home uh, one day right before school got out for the year. He had this real long face and we said, man, what's wrong, buddy? And had to kind of pull the answer out of him. And ultimately it came down to a kid telling him that he was weird. And uh, this will tell you the kind of parents that we are. Immediately we were like, that's amazing. That's the, that's the greatest. Your mom, I said to him, your mom is the weirdest person I know. Weird is awesome. Weird is great. It's so incredible. Who would want to be like everybody else? And, and we began to talk about why this kid might have said this. And we talked about typically bullies uh, are scared and insecure because they're worried about not fitting in with everyone, uh, but that it's what's unique about us that makes us who we are. And, and so we told him, uh, you know, the next time that kid tells you you're weird, you just tell him, you know what? Being caring, kind, and loving isn't weird. Judging people because they're not like you, that's what's weird. And he said, okay. And we were settled. So uh, why do I share that story with you? Because we're continuing in this series in everything, the series on worship. And what it looks like to live a life of worship in all you do. And last week, we talked about personal devotions and time with God. And some of you are like, yes, I loved it. My soul was so enriched. I can't wait to dive in to more personal devotions. And others might be thinking, that doesn't sound great at all. And, uh, you know, I want to be close to God and all. I want to, I want to worship him daily. But sitting in a chair praying and reading a Bible sounds pretty rough. Uh, listen, no. I am not going to let you off the hook right now for needing to spend regular time in prayer and in scripture, even if it doesn't sound great to you, okay? But what we are going to do is we're gonna look at what it looks like to live a life of worship in a way that's unique to you. So here's the truth about God to kind of kick us off. God loves variety. He loves variety. You don't have to look very far to see that everywhere. Uh, look at all the different animals he created. Some are beautiful, like the monarch butterfly, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Or, or uh, my wife's favorite, the peacock, uh, just incredible, incredible creature. And then some look like this or like this. And you're like, God did that on purpose, y'all. Like, like that was, he did that on purpose. Did you know, did you know, God made over 300,000 species of beetle. Okay, I think 50,000 would have been plenty. But he made three, not 300,000 species of bugs, of beetles. Okay, think about all the snow that we had. No, you don't want to think about the snow we had last year. But think about snow for a second. Think about uh, in one cubic foot of snow. Think about how much we had. In one cubic foot of snow, there are 18 million snowflakes, and every one of them is unique. No one will ever get to enjoy that except for God. But he loves variety. And the same is true when it comes to us. Uh, I, I travel a decent amount. And if you want to see variety, just watch people walk through an airport on your layover. It's absolutely fascinating. Humans are fascinating. It's evidence. God loves variety. One of the most amazing things about humans is diversity. And when we look around at the human race, billions of people, all created in the image of God, and yet not one of us is exactly the same, okay? No two fingerprints are the same. The complexity in a strand of DNA is astounding and has ensured that no two people are exactly the same. And yet, for some reason, in the midst of all that beautiful diversity, we tend to all lose sight of our God-given identity 
and instead place value on and even chase conformity. We value fitting in with everyone else around us. And, and we value denying and even feeling ashamed of our own uniquenesses. And we tend to view and value ourselves through that lens instead of viewing ourselves through the eyes of our creator. See, God's creativity is displayed in every person's individuality. God doesn't want you to be anyone else. He wants you to be set free to be who he made you to be. He wants you to be fully and completely you. And the uniqueness he formed in you was a gift to you and to the world around you and is an expression of his love for you. And that true identity can only be found in him and his plan for you. I read somewhere, there's a story only you can tell. There's a life meant for only you to live. So what does all that have to do with worship? Well, hopefully at at very least you find that interesting and, and perhaps it was just what you needed to hear about yourself, just the encouragement you needed today, but what does it have to do with worship? Well, what I wanna look at today is how all through scripture you see the uniqueness of humanity in every aspect of the work God wants to do in each of us. You see him doing things not despite our uniquenesses, but actually in them and through them. He knew what he was doing when he created each of us and he he knew not only who he wanted us to be, but how he needed us to be and who he needed us to be in order to fully carry out his plan for our lives. Let me give you some examples from scripture. Example number one is the personalities of those God uses, okay? Whether we're talking uh, about the 40 plus authors of the Bible or whether we're talking about the disciples he chose, what you see on full display throughout the pages of scripture is about every kind of personality you can imagine. I don't know if you've watched the, cho- you've watched the Chosen yet, and I, and I don't really know what your opinion is on all that or whatever, but one of the things, regardless of how you feel about the series, one of the coolest things about it is how they portray the disciples, each with strikingly different personalities, and how you get to watch Jesus shape them, watch God use them, not apart from, but within their unique personalities. And the same is true with the biblical authors, all of them writing and recording the inspired word of God given to them through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And yet if you read a book Luke wrote, and then you read one Paul wrote, you can clearly see their personalities shining through. In fact, the passages in scripture where there are debates, whether scholars are questioning, was that passage or was that book written by a certain person, they're doing so based on the normal voice of the writer claiming a certain passage doesn't sound like that author. That's how clear these unique voices are in Scripture. Another example is spiritual gifts. According to what we see in Scripture, when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit gives gifts unique to you and who God made you to be, and he doesn't give anyone else the same gifts. Instead, he gives the gifts that are the perfect ones for you based on who he wants you to be. And Paul writes about these in a few places in Scripture. One of them is in Romans chapter 12. Paul says this, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. We've got all these different gifts. Paul also writes about this in 1 Corinthians 12. 
And while I won't read the whole passage here, what Paul essentially says, he summarizes in verse four through six. He said, therefore, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but the same God, it's the same God who does the work in all of us. This is God working within our uniqueness. In 1 Corinthians, Paul goes on to use the metaphor of the body and how we all make up different parts of this spiritual body. And it talks about our uniqueness and our need for each other and how devastating things would be if we were all the same. Spiritual gifts are a great example of how God celebrates the very things that make us unique. And this is where we finally get to talking about worship. If God made us all unique, why would he expect us all to worship him the same way? Some of you have been struggling in this series because you really don't like corporate praise and worship and because you really struggle to do consistent daily devotions and with this idea of a daily quiet time with God. And while the enemy wants you to feel guilty about this, in reality, none of this is because you don't love Jesus. It just has to do with your unique wiring. And again, while that does not mean I'm gonna absolve you from participating in corporate worship that God deserves or from doing the hard work of creating a discipline of daily spending time in his word, what I will do is I will create the space to safely admit that these are not the ways you best connect with God. Turn with me to Psalm 139, if you will. If you're using one of our Bibles, we'll be on page 372. Uh, The ushers are coming around. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can raise your hand and they'd love to give you one to follow along. If you don't own one, keep it. Uh, Psalm 139. Uh, this may be a familiar Psalm to a lot of us, uh, but I think it's a great illustration of our uniqueness and what will set us up perfectly for what I want to teach you today. Okay. So David is here expressing thanks for God's creativity and for his hands-on approach in our creation. Psalm 139 verse one. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm gonna say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand a blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. See, God knows us better than we know ourselves. Every action Every undertaking, every thought, this is more than just a statement about what God knows. It's a statement about how intimately God knows us and how individual his love is for each of us. Pagan nations often thought their gods were hostile and indifferent, but David knows his God, the God, cares enough about each of us personally to have searched us and to fully know the true us. Not only did he create everything, he created me. And to David, this picture of God truly knowing us is a picture that is too great to even comprehend. But it's when we jump down to verse 13 that we can really see a description and a permission to be fully unique in the way we interact with our Heavenly Father. Verse 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. I want to key in on this picture today. God was not only intentional in creating you outwardly, he was equally intentional in creating your inmost being, which means your mind, 
your personality, your will, your emotions, your likes and dislikes, your strengths and weaknesses and preferences. David uses intimate language to describe God's involvement. He says, you knit me together. You form me. I'm woven together. I'm a workmanship. But there's one phrase that we cannot miss, one phrase that is beautifully permission-giving when it comes to our unique worship of him. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And that brings us back to our original question I asked. Who came in here with someone a little unique? Okay, Would anyone here be brave enough to willingly admit that the people you came here with today are wonderfully complex? Okay, My guess is one of them is the most wonderfully complex. Like in my life, it's my wife. When I started dating my wife, her ex-boyfriend pulled me aside and he said, hey bro, just wanna give you a heads up. She's high maintenance. And what I found in the first few months is that he was not lying. But after 22 years of marriage, what I've come to realize is that she isn't high maintenance. She's just wonderfully complex. And if I'm honest with myself, so am I. And so are you. And out of that beautiful complexity and uniqueness, God is calling us to worship him personally. And just as he designed us outwardly unique, and just as he gifted us with unique gifts, the way he's wired us to worship him is unique to us as well. And so what I wanna do is I wanna look at a great resource to help you understand who God made you to be and to give you permission to honor that uniqueness within yourself, particularly when it comes to how you worship him. And again, I'm not absolving you from devotions and all that, but, but this is just how God wired you to worship. I'm not giving anybody excuses. You may not be wired for corporate worship. It's still part of what we're called to do, okay? Uh, sneaking in late and doing all that, that we already d- defined. That's no good. No bueno, okay? Uh, but listen, I'm also not going to uh, put you in a box, Okay, I'm not saying you have to curl up in your cozy chair each morning with a cup of coffee and a Bible and a journal. You don't have to do it like that. But none of us are off the hook or spending time with God and his word. None of us are off the hook for having an intentional prayer life. But worship does not have to be one size fits all. We each have a unique way we meaningfully connect with Jesus. Has anyone uh, today, have you ever heard of the, the phrase sacred pathways? Gary Thomas wrote a book uh, a while back about this. The subtitle of this book, Sacred Pathways, was Discovering Your Soul's Path to God. And what Thomas does in this book is just simply identify nine spiritual temperaments, nine ways people connect with God. Uh, I'm gonna take some time to lay each of these out here. As I do, I want you to listen to it through the, the lens of Psalm 139. Thank you, God, for making me wonderfully complex. And my hope is that you will hear one or two or three of these that you really connect with and that you might actually learn a new way to worship God today. So the first temperament he mentions is the naturalist. The naturalist is the person who feels closest to God outdoors, who sees the greatness of God in the beauty of his creation. And while that they might find it interesting to learn about God and, and discovering like the next theological concept, they're moved when they're in nature with God. This group tends to find meaning in reading the Bible outdoors or listening to worship music while going on a walk. They also tend to struggle with faith more in the winter, particularly where we live, as the ability to connect meaningfully with God is harder for them because they're so, you know, stirred by the outside and get so dark and cold and their outdoors is limited. That's the naturalist. 
Maybe that's you. Another one is a sensate. This is a person who loves God through their senses. The entire environment matters for this person. So if you ever wonder, like, why do they light good-smelling candles or set the lights a certain way in corporate worship, it's because some people worship through those senses. They love great architecture and intentional environments and great music led by talented musicians, and they worship through sight, sound, smell, touch, taste. They're drawn to museums and concerts and experiences. And sensates may find praying using different prayer posture, standing or kneeling or getting down on your face actually helps them worship. And if you've ever seen those Bibles you're meant to draw in, you know, with the big spaces, those, if you've ever been like, I don't even understand that. My brain does. Those are for the sensates in the room. Okay. Then there's the traditionalist. And for those who thought traditional just meant outdated, it doesn't. There's a whole group of people who worship through tradition. This group loves the rituals and the symbols of worship. They connect it with God, uh, with past memories of meaningful times of worship from their childhood. So they love an old song. They love taking communion. They love tradition and liturgy. They hold a lot of meaning. And while it may sound like they're just holding on to the past, what they're actually doing is holding on to meaningful rituals And those wired in this way do well with a regular routine, with a time, a place, a devotional chair, a prayer closet, whatever it is. They thrive on that routine and they wish worship were more routine and they really wish that we would hand out the service order every week. That would really help them out in their worship, but we're not going to do that. Okay. (laughs) Then there's the ascetic. The ascetic worships best through solitude and simplicity. For the ascetic, so much of faith is internal for them. They enjoy being alone to focus on their faith. They feel closer to God when it's just him and them. This group of people does well with extended time alone with God and even spiritual retreats where they can find a quiet place and pray and study God's word in solitude. Then there's the activist. This one is super interesting to me. The activists love God best through confrontation. They want to pick a fight in Jesus' name, you know. Uh, they, seriously, this person's wired for, for justice and they feel closest to God when they're pushing back darkness and standing in the gap and, 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 and being there for the vulnerable and those who are taken advantage of, whether that be through writing letters to government officials or encouraging people to engage in politics or struggling to understand why everyone isn't as fired up about orphans as they are or, and about the injustices they see everywhere. This group wants everyone to feel what they feel and to be moved by what moves the heart of God. And they're super frustrated by apathetic Christians and probably see most Christians as apathetic. This group might struggle to sit for an hour and pray quietly, but they would stand for hours in the rain protesting injustice and then go home full and feeling God's presence and power. Because to them, that's closest to the heart of God. Then there's the caregiver. Closely related to the activist, They're motivated by compassion, but their compassion manifests not in a demand for justice, but in a desire to freely serve the disenfranchised. So they feel closest to God when they're serving the poor or the sick or the imprisoned. They would rather volunteer for a nonprofit than sit in a Bible study. They'll gladly cook a meal, give a ride, spend time with a shut-in. They make the best group hosts, maybe not the best leaders, but the best hosts. And, and, And they love serving at nonprofits, going on missions trips. That energizes them. They never feel closer to God than when they are in it, right in the middle of the mess with others, walking with them and meeting their needs. Then there's the enthusiast. 
This individual is driven by the mysterious, by celebration. They love corporate worship. They're energized by genuine praise. They love seeing God work in supernatural ways. They love hearing stories of the miracles God's been doing, the miraculous things, and they probably own a lot of worship music, which they listen to in their car. They would never dream of missing a night of worship. You tend to have a lot of enthusiasts that sign up for the worship team. Time alone with God tends to be more of a private worship session than it does just quiet contemplative prayer. And hearing about new decisions for Christ excites them, and they would be fine if every Sunday was worship Sunday, if every Sunday was baptism Sunday, if every Sunday was Easter. Then there's the contemplative. Uh, They focus on, on... adoration of God. They feel closest to God when they feel his love, maybe a a tug on their heart about an issue or a reminder of God's closeness to them. The most difficult thing for those with this personality is any time when they feel far away from God or when they're struggling to feel his presence. They think of God as a close friend. They love intimacy with him. And so contemplatives do really well with things like meditative prayer and, and they read the Bible as if it's God's love letter to them. They also really thrive when they have good Sabbath rhythms, taking the day of rest that God commanded and creating space to just be. And then there's the intellectual. This person tends to love God with all their mind very well. They feel closest to God when they learn something new about him, when they gain understanding of him in a new way and their mind is stimulated by that new knowledge of him and they tend to view faith through their understanding of God and and they think a whole lot less about their feelings, what they're feeling in worship. They enjoy long periods of uninterrupted study or great group discussion at their small group. They're the first to sign up for things like biblical catechesis class and they love using Bible reading plans to get to know God better. Now, Maybe you identified yourself in these, but for most, it's not very clear cut. feels like several are a fit. Reality is you're actually a unique combination of all of these nine. You are wonderfully complex, and that's amazing. God's greatest desire is not just that you would worship him, and that, uh, but that you'd be set free to be who God made you to be, and that your worship would be an expression of that uniqueness. And if you're curious about discovering your unique wiring, they're gonna put two QR codes up on the screen uh, for you to scan. The left one is a study guide from Gary Thomas on the Sacred Pathways. The right one is a Sacred Pathway self-test that you can use to try to test what type you might be. This series is gonna culminate next week and I can hardly wait. My hope is that you're walking away from this series more aware of the why behind this thing called worship and that you understand why corporate worship is so important, that you see the beauty in the sacraments as a means of worship, that you're thinking differently about personal devotions, not just as a discipline, but as a powerful form of worship, that you're being freed up to consider new ways to worship him and that together we'd realize as believers that everything we do from singing to prayer to reading the Bible to riding our bike or hanging out with our friends, everything is actually meant to be an act of worship. My prayer for you today as we close is actually David's prayer at the end of Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anywhere in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So Father, search us, know us, and help us in everything we do to worship you. Amen.